year we've been talking about the same verses. I hope you got them. Exodus 20, 20. When I, when I think about it, I think about a song that, I don't know, maybe it was back in the 70s before your time. I can see clearly now. It's about 2020 vision. It's about Ephesians chapter 1. You really need to be praying that over yourself every, every day because he said that, that God would split the veil between the unseen and the seen realm and that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. And so this is what you need. You need your understanding. You have another set of eyes called the eyes of your understanding, and they need to be illuminated, flooded with light from the Word of God. And so we looked at Exodus 20.20. We looked at Chronicles 20.20. Believe God be established. Believe his prophets and prosper. And then we looked at, you know, my favorite one is Colossians 2, 9 and 10, because the Bible says that you're, that Jesus is the head of all principality and power, and you are, you are what? Complete, complete in him. Yeah. So many times, especially if you're on social media, you see people say, oh, I'm crying about who they are. And anytime you cry about who you are, you, you, dis, you know, you dishonor the creator. He didn't make any junk. Everything that he made, he said it was good. So anytime you say you're no good, you're, you're saying he didn't know what he was doing. Or you're saying that, he, that Christ's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection wasn't enough for you, that you're a special case. <laughs> I mean, you're all cases, I know that. And you are special in the sight of God. But we, so we looked at that verse, and then, of course, we looked at Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, that we're steadfast and unmovable. And abounding in the work of the Lord, because we know our labor is not in vain. And the Lord, and then, of course, in Luke chapter 12, fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, you know, he's kingdom-minded. He doesn't need a big army. He just needs you knowing who you are. So in Exodus twenty twenty, he's talking about, you know, fear in the Lord. It's, you know, Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we understand that, you know, uh, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid. Because you can't have a relationship with anybody that you're afraid of. Right? How can, you, how can you have a good relationship with somebody that you're afraid of? You can't. And you don't need to. You don't need to be, you know, you don't need to be afraid of God. I said you don't need to be afraid of God. He's, 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 not, he's not your problem. He's the answer to every problem you have. And his word is full of answers, exceeding great and precious promises that you can partake. You can partake or not partake, I guess, that the choice is yours. But let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 20 again. Because I think it's interesting that these verses, this particular verse comes after he gave the Ten Commandments. Same chapter. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And we always took it as um, we always took it as some kind of you don't want me to have any fun type. <laughs> but really, it, it's really it's like you know it's like the lines on the highway. They're to keep you in your lane, so you don't get killed. And so, you know, it's even like about the Sabbath. I mean, we we looked at it last week or the week before. Jesus said, "I made the Sabbath for man to teach you how to rest, so that you don't have to be." doing everything by yourself. And things that you do by yourself, we look at Moses when he was 40 years old, he decided he knew, Acts chapter 7 tells us that he, he knew in his heart that he was to deliver the children of Israel, but then he went out and tried to do it on his own. He killed an Egyptian. And I'm thinking, one, 
<laughs> How long would it take him to do that on his own? And so he didn't understand that, and so he ran away and hid because he failed. Because he failed when he tried to do it on his own. How many of you have never been there? No, no, you're going to change you too. I know you've been working on changing you, and, and I can tell you right now, it, it doesn't work. This doesn't work. What works is yielding to the, to the Holy Ghost and, and letting him change you. And he'll bring con- conviction to you, never condemnation, never guilt to you. He'll come and correct you, but correction is not rejection. No, that's the problem people have. Oh, God corrected me, now I'm rejecting. No, 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 you took that on yourself. When he points something out to you that's wrong in your life, he's going to come right alongside of you and say, now we're going to change that together. <laughs> people always say, oh, I'm going to help. You've been working on you for so long, you're tired out. Some of you are totally exhausted. <laughs> Give it up. So, but let's read Exodus 20, 20 here. He said, and Moses said unto the people, fear not. This is right after the Ten Commandments. You know, the first four were how you honor God, and the last six were how you honor people. But he starts out and he says, don't be afraid. Fear not. For God has come to prove you that, you can, that he'll see whether you fear him or not. And we know that the fear of God is Again, Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and I understand this fear thing. Like, I, I, I know that, you know, we can come boldly onto the throne room of grace. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that. But sometimes when the presence of God comes in into your life, I mean, sometimes you can kneel down at the front of the church because you, you want to honor God. Other times you get dropped to your knees. Have you ever experienced that? It's like the presence of God comes in so strong that I find that whenever it happens, the first thing I start saying is, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, even if I haven't done anything wrong at the time. It's just that that awesome fear of God. I know we sometimes we get flipping, we call him Papa God and all that, and that's good to call him Papa God, but he's also the creator of the universe, and he deserves honor and respect. And so the fear of the Lord has all of that. The fear of the Lord is to honor him, to respect him. That's why we do what his word says, because we honor and respect him, not because we're trying to obtain some salvation. No, no, you know, your works are not, not the fruit of your salvation, or the fruit of your salvation, rather not the root of your salvation. He did it all, according to Romans 5, 8, before, come on, before the worst day you had as a sinner, Romans 5, 8 says that he died for you. Come on, the very worst day that you ever lived in your life, he gave his life for you. Now, I can go back to mine. I can go back. I was three months behind my rent, and I was hungover and sick and trying to pour a glass of water under, under a tap and snap the top off the glass because I couldn't hold the glass still enough to get a drink of water. And that was the day that he... It was also the day after I tore up the Bible. I said, this is a bunch of lies, and I tore it up. And that day, shaky hands and all, I've got a needle and thread and some electric tape, and I'm trying to sew this Bible back together because I'm thinking, if there is a God, i got enough trouble without having to deal with him. Right, and so most of you have never been there, but, but I was there that day. And so then when I read Romans 5, that whole chapter really, 
Ephesians 1, 6 made me to be accepted in the beloved when I couldn't make myself accepted into anything. That's what he's done for you. But let's go, let's go just for a minute. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. And then we'll come back to the book of Exodus. Matthew 22. In verse um, 27. 37. Make it 37. No, this is when the lawyer came to him and said, you know, what must I do? What what must I do to be saved? And, you know, he had already kept all the commandments and he was so proud of himself. And and Jesus wanted him to know there's nothing that you can do. You know, your your righteousness doesn't mean anything. But anyway, so Jesus says this in verse 37. Jesus said unto him, you shall love the Lord your God. And again, how do you love somebody that you don't know? So I guess I'm required to get to know the Lord. How do I get to know him from dreams and visions? No, from the book. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is, this is the living word of God. How you get to know him is through his word. So he said, uh, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And... You, and this is the first, and this is a great suggestion. <laughs> this is a great commandment. And the second is like unto itself, you shall love your neighbor, we could write it this way, as you love yourself. And so the reason why there's not a whole lot of love in the church is because a lot of the church doesn't love themselves. Now, I'm not saying be in love with yourself, <laughs> but you, you need to love yourself. It's like, how can I give mercy to someone when I don't have any in my own life? How can I give love to someone else when I don't even like me? So, so it becomes some kind of religious deal. You're, you're trying to do it out of your head. But when you receive God's love into your heart, it will automatically lead to you loving other people. In spite of themselves as well. You know, I remember George Moss one time when he was here, he prayed this. He said, Lord, help me to love people in spite of their shortcomings. And Lord, help me to love people in spite of my shortcomings. Right? I mean, the love of one another is what makes us, the church makes us who we are. I was reading a story the other day. I don't know the guy's name. It was maybe a couple weeks ago I read a story about a guy that just ran a 26-mile marathon in under two hours. Anybody hear about that guy? One hour and 59 minutes and 20 seconds or something like this. But he had planned it, and he, he had planned it for quite a while, and they found the perfect place to do it down near sea level, lots of oxygen and things like that. And then he went and got some of the other runners that were in the same caliber as him, really great runners in their own right, and they worked with him, and they would run like sort of a relay. They would run ahead of him and form a V like, like, like a goose, like, you know. And, and then they'd have a couple of people behind Buffett in the air for him. And the team, but, but here's the powerful thing to me, the team set aside their own agenda to help somebody else win. I thought, well, now there's a good picture of the church. You, you, you make it your goal as you, as you begin to receive the love of God in your life, you'll make it your goal to go and try and just push somebody else to succeed. And I'm not talking about correction. 
and instruction. The reason why we're so busy correcting other people is because we need it in our own lives. <laughs> no, no, you can't give away what you haven't got. You can't give away mercy if you don't have any. And so all you end up doing is some religious deal and annoying people around you. None of you have ever experienced anything like that. You know, picking out the, the splinter in another guy's eye when the Bible says that telephone pole that you got in your own is knocking over all the furniture. <laughs> Why won't they listen to me? Why don't you listen to God? <laughs> Correction is not rejection. Correction is direction. He said, I'm going to lead you to a higher place. And the higher place is not trying to fix somebody else until you're fixed. <laughs> and we're all in stages of progress. So, but again, you know, I, I could give you 20 bucks today because I have it. But if I if didn't have it, I couldn't give it to you. I can only give you what I have already received. So lots of times we're trying to, especially young Christians, I see them on Facebook, they're going to preach to everybody. Get everybody fixed, and they don't even <laughs> don't even know that the first thing that the anointing will bring to your life is a, a direction, and the, the the anointing in your life will bring you a correction. The anointing of your in your life will bring order to you. You it, you begin to order your life. It's not about just about laying on on the floor and laughing and enjoying the presence of God, which we do. Acts chapter 2, that's what it was all about. The, the, Acts chapter 2 was really about this end time harvest. When you think about it, there were devout men from all over the world that came to that particular place and the Holy Ghost got poured out and they stumbled out onto the streets drunk and 3,000 of them got saved the first day. This is why it's important for you to come in here and get drunk in the Holy Ghost. No, no, this, like, praise and I don't know where we're going, but praise and worship changes everything. Everything gets changed when we worship the Lord. Everything gets changed when we praise the Lord. Maybe you don't, don't see it in the natural, but in the realm of the spirit, things begin to shift. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas in, in the prison at midnight, whipped and beaten. They began to praise the Lord until the prison shook and they all got set free. When's the last time you needed freedom and you praised till the place shook where you were? I don't know what you do when you're under attack is you begin to praise the Lord. What you do when things are going bad is you begin to praise the Lord. How many of you know if you've been complaining for years, it hasn't changed anything? And then I see God fix me, God heal me, he fix me. It's all over social media. And I try to, it's already been done. Learn how to receive it. Well, they don't know about it. Well, it's in the book. Hallelujah. Okay, so the second is like unto itself. So really, Exodus chapter 20, the first four are about this verse. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the last six are how you treat your neighbor. And, and, and this is why the next verse says, in this hang all the law and the prophetic, or so the prophets. Everything is fulfilled in that. So the Ten Commandments didn't go away, Right? They didn't become the 10 suggestions in this last day. It's like I need to learn how to. I've, but again, until I receive from God, I can't give anything to you. All right. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2. Okay. 
We've been here before as well. We need to go back here again. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21. Now we know the story about Moses, Moshe. He sailed down the river in a bunch of alligators when he was a kid because back then they were aborting babies left, right, and center. Back then they were aborting children. But again, put yourself in this picture. Picture yourself as a slave in Egypt. Picture yourself going to bed at night after eating whatever little crumbs you had and you're laying down on the floor or somewhere that's not pleasant and you're going to get up the next morning and you're going to work again and they're making it tougher on you. They're making you do it without straw. So now you've got to gather straw to make your bricks. And when you slow down, they whip you and they beat you. And the thing about slavery is this. Slavery is you, you, you're, not, you're not treated like a human. You're property. They can buy you. They can sell you. They can, they can rape your women and castrate the men. And all of those things were going on. And now they're throwing babies in the river to die. And this is, this is the situation that Moses was walking in. He was watching. Well, he was watching. Like this month is Black History Month. Well, in the United States of America, the same thing was going on. People were being, you know, when I think about Creflo Dollar, even his name, he was his family. Somebody got sold for a dollar all those years ago. Can you believe that humans were treated like that? They were not treated like human. And so everything was stripped away from them. Just the two most persecuted groups that I can find in the Bible <laughs> or, or, or in a, in the American black man and the Jew. And I, I, and I don't know the reason for either one, but I recognize what took place when I, when I look. And again, I'm not an expert or anything like that, but, but when I look at what happened to the black man in America... I saw that everything was stripped away from them except somebody, somebody's had Bibles and somebody had to learn how to read it. And out in the fields all day when they were out there picking cotton and dying or picking tobacco and dying, they were singing praises unto God. And this is my belief. I cannot prove it, but this is my belief that their praise and worship is what brought the Underground Railroad into place, that people begin to get rescued out of it. And when, so when I look at their history or when I look at the Hebrew people's history, whenever they were down and out and it was the worst it could ever be, praise and worship turned it around. And so, so, but, but, but now Moses, Moses would be a man that saw racial profiling and hated it and knew that there was a racial equal, like there was, and he knew that there was a problem, but he tried to solve it on his own and and he couldn't do it. And so frustrated, he finally leaves. Now he's backslidden away from God. And he's over in Midian. He married a pagan wife, Zipporah. And he's serving a pagan God. In verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, And Moses was content to live there. 
everything that he had ever tried to do in his life. He was, he was backslidden. He was tired of the ministry, fed up because of the things that he wanted to change. He couldn't change. And so he finds himself over here content living in another world, serving false gods. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock, so he was employed, gainfully employed, kept the flock of his father-in-law, Jephro, the priest of Midian. So the priest of Midian, so that would give you an idea what kind of church he was going to. <laughs> he was on the backside of the desert, exactly like Paul the Apostle was going to end up. I mentioned this before. You need to read Acts chapter 9 and see that the same thing happened to both guys. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire amidst the Missed the bush. Like I said last week, a bush on fire in the desert is not a rare thing. Spontaneous combustion, poof. But this thing was not consumed. Just like the fire that God put in you. Even in a backslidden state, I've watched people come back after being backslidden for years and the fire right up again. And they don't have to go back to start and begin all over. They pick up where they left off. So the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the fire burned, but it was not consumed, and neither will you be. Jeremiah 20 and verse 9, he said, God's word is a fire in my bones. I think in chapter 23, he said, I cannot help but preach the gospel. I'm on fire. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no more personal stories. Okay. Save that one for another day. And Moses said, I'm now going to turn aside and look at this great sight. And when the Lord saw that, he had turned aside to see God called onto him out of the bush, in the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And any time you see that, it's a covenant term. It's like verily, verily. He said, God wants you to know that he's, he's got you in heaven. He's got you on earth. He's got a covenant promise working in your life. Uh, we could go into detail on that, but we, I don't think we're going to again today. He said, draw not near here. Take your shoes from off your feet. And again, if you'll read Ruth chapter 4, you'll see what that's all about. And if you've got a good concordance, you can search it out. The tossing of the shoe is a covenant uh, thing that you do. He said, take your shoes off your holy ground, on holy ground. Hallelujah. Take your shoes off your on holy ground. Verse 6, moreover, he said, now this is, this is the Lord saying, I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And he said, I'm the God of Jacob. And when he said Jacob, the fear of God came upon Moses and he dropped to his face. Because if he had said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, it would have been okay. Because Israel was the reborn or the the new man but he said i'm the god of abraham i'm the god of isaac and i'm the god of jacob i'm the god of your god side of you and i'm the god of the other side of you and that's what dropped moses to his knees because he realized here i am in midian and i'm backslidden and god is still my god still my god he has not given up on me I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look upon God. 
Because all of a sudden he felt the guilt. All of a sudden he felt the shame of what, how he was living. And God doesn't want you to be ashamed ever. You need to know that going out. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Halifax, which are in Dartmouth. And I've heard the cry by reason of their taskmasters. Now, many of you aren't in slavery anymore unless you're in debt. And then that's a form of slavery because you're always working, trying to pay your bills. And uh, it's it's not that that deep. But, but again, Jesus, Jesus said this in Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. What's good news to a poor person? You don't have to be anymore. How do I find my way out? It's in the book. Deuteronomy 8, 18. I'll give you the power to get well to establish my covenant in the earth. Seed time and harvest time. Whatsoever man soweth, that also shall he reap. He will reap in due season if he doesn't quit, doesn't cave in. So if you don't sow anything. <laughs> Down in um, Bear River, I may have told this story before. They used to make sailing ships back in the day. And the town of Bear River, everybody was employed making ships. The, the people that owned the lumber mill, the people that owned the stores, everybody had a part to play in sending out a ship on its maiden voyage. And when they, and they didn't get paid, it was always a sacrifice going in. You, you had, like the guy that owned the store had to sup, put, put all the supplies on the ship and, and get no paycheck back. And that, you, you've heard the saying, when my ship comes in, that's where it originated, right here in the Annapolis Valley. I thought that was so cool. But lots of people are waiting for the ship to come in and never sent one out. <laughs> now, how many of you know that's a double dog dumb, right? That's, that's, that's just dumb. Yeah. So he said, I'm the God of Jacob, and he was afraid. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, and I've heard, for I know their sorrows. And I have come down to deliver them. I like that, because basically what he was saying is, I'm going to do it, Moses, it's not you. <laughs> you already tried, and it didn't work so well for you, right? I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. I have come down... Moses, I've come down. New Covenant Ministries Church, I have come down to bring you up. I didn't come down to put a Band-Aid on your sorrow. I came down to bring you up. Up out of the mess that you're in. Amen. And so he came down, and, and we know the rest of the story, or we should. He said, I come down to bring you up and I want to take you into a land overflowing with milk and honey. All things have been given unto me that pertain to life and godliness by the one that's called me. By his glory, unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us. Who's us? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that we might partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through us. So it doesn't matter what's going on in the world right now. You've got exceeding great and precious promises. 
They pertain everything that you need for life and godliness, everything that you need for your spiritual life and your physical life has already been given to you according to Ephesians 1.3. I've already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. So it should change your prayer life. Prayer life should be just full immersion anyway. Ask, ask Steve about it. He'll tell you about it after. Right, Steve? You can tell us about it. Thank you. No, no, I put it on Facebook the other day, someday, that, you know, that sometimes when we think about prayer, it's, it's, it's uh, such a, a task to think about going and praying for an hour or two and all kinds of distractions getting away, and it's laborious. And so you're thinking about all of that, and really all you need to be is fully immersed in God, and prayer is just life. Do you have a special prayer time? Yeah, but, but prayer is all day long. Prayer is, uh, I, I, I talk to God and God talks to me. And it's not thou Lord, knowest, fatherest, all this thing is father, father, father. It's, hi, God. It's me, Gary. It's just a conversation. It's amazing how we switch gears when we want to pray. Now we're going to get holy and spiritual and all that kind of stuff. No, he's just talking. He knows your thoughts. He said, I know your thoughts before they're ever on your tongue. So I don't have to impress him with my prayers either. Right? Hey, God, it's me, Gary, and this is my prayer today. Help! <laughs> That's as deep as it gets. Help! Give me understanding. Let me see with the eyes of my understanding being enlightened. Let me know what's going on. Jesus, you said that the Holy Spirit would come and guide me into all the truth and take the things of Jesus and reveal them unto me and show me things to come. Help! I don't get postured. <laughs> it's just, just got to get rid of now. <laughs> oh, Father, you know, Father, how Father, 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 how Father, how thou hast knowest all this thingest, and here I am as stuckest in a messest. <laughs> No, we get the King James going too. Thou knowest all things. Hey, God, I wasn't born in 1611. I speak Canadian English. It's me, Gary. You know what I'm thinking anyway. I remember one time I was working on an oil rig, and uh, after midnight I went out and told God off for a good 20 minutes. None of you have ever done that. I yelled at him, sir. Told him all the things he was doing wrong in my life. If he just do it my way, everything would be fine. And after the 20 minutes was up, I heard him say, well, you got that off your chest. But I wasn't hiding from him. He already knew it was in there. And when the cork popped, it all came out, and it was like throwing up. And it's amazing how after you throw up, you feel better. But please don't throw up at me. Talk to God about your problems. <laughs> no, no, come on. You all got a friend. You got that one friend. They're going to tell you your problems every day. Matter of fact, there was, used to be people in the church, and I had guards. You see that person coming toward me, getting away, getting away, getting away. I got to get out of here, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but you're the pastor. Exactly. <laughs> guard your heart with all diligence. for all to throw. No, no. They use your ear for a garbage can. Like, wait, wait now. 
You can come and tell me your problems and we'll pray over your problems. But if you're going to come to me day after week after month after month and keep saying that same thing, you know. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 20. I need to get myself out of here. Uh, verse uh, chapter 20, verse um, 9. This was Jeremiah when he didn't want to be in the ministry. <laughs> then I said, I will not make mention of him anymore. <laughs> but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with fighting against it, and I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. I had to preach. No, no, you can get back. You can get mad at God and say, you know, you're not going to do this, not going to do that. Somebody will come along that needs a word, and the next thing you know, you're preaching the word to them, right? On your worst day. I said, I, one, I really bad day one day in the gym, and I had somebody come up to me and say, what is it about you? You're all so happy all the time. I was just cranky. You ever get cranky? Yeah. God, God let her see somebody else that day. <laughs> How about chapter 23? Verse 29. Is not his word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? A fire and a hammer? I'd rather be hit with the fire than the hammer. I don't know, I don't know about you. <laughs> Send the fire, Lord. Keep the hammer to yourself. <laughs> Let's go to Acts chapter 2. We'll just go somewhere. I often wonder when I read uh, Acts chapter 1 how there, ended up, how there happened to be 120 people in the upper room. And you wonder about the 5,000 that were fed and you wonder, was the woman with the issue of blood there? Was Lazarus there? Like, who was there and who wasn't there? And how it is that when when the need is met, the thirst is gone. A prayer is answered. And, and again, 28 years of pastoring, I thought, wow, I've seen so much of that. So much. That people were really pushing in for God until he answers their prayers, and then they're gone. Just gone. Even when, even at the tomb, you know, you got, you got three women showing up at the tomb after he was after he was buried, because there was no advantage anymore. The advantage was gone. So there's no advantage in serving him anymore because he's gone. There's no advantage in serving him anymore because I got my needs met. There's no advantage in going to that particular church anymore because I got what I needed. None of you have never ever experienced that, but I, I've watched it over the years. But anyway, there's 120 people, and I believe that that was significant too because 120 times 50 is 2,000 years, right? And so this represents the end of the age. Matter of fact, uh, I, there was 120 back in the book of... Uh, let, don't go back there, okay. Anyway, the 120 is very significant, Back in Genesis chapter 6, it talks about 120 mans. My spirit will not always strive with man, but the number of his days will be 120 years. 120 times 50 is 6,000 years. So at the end of 6,000 years, you get the picture of what the book of Acts, the early rain, it looks like when the early and the latter rain comes. And so it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were what we're after here, 
There was only 120 of them. They didn't need, they needed Gideon's army. They didn't need the 32,000. They needed a group of people from various backgrounds that can even disagree without being disagreeable. People that can receive correction and instruction without getting offended, right? Those kind of people that, a doctor, lawyer, whatever you might be, that you can get along with the, with the carpenter that works next to you and all of those kind of things because we're not talking about union. A union is all plumbers, all electricians, all this or that. We're talking about unity when you get a bunch of people that are coming together with a common goal to advance the kingdom of God. A common goal to see in this particular area, you know what I want to talk about, but I'm not going to talk about it, no. no. Because it's not by might and it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But God has a plan for this church. God has a plan for your life. And you're not a spectator. You're a participant. You're not going to sit in the bleachers. You're a part of the plan. You're a part of the game. And it's the Super Bowl. No, it is. It's like we're coming down to the to the to the fourth quarter, and it didn't know didn't matter what. It, if you just watched the recent Super Bowl, it didn't look good in the third quarter. But the fourth quarter, everything changed. And in the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter quarter, the believers on the team rose up in faith, and the believers on the team will rise up in faith. Hallelujah, and see a different outcome than what the devil had planned. The devil's going to, the devil is shaking the government of the United States. You think that Canada's not going to shake? You think that that guy that's in there right now is going to continue to lead? Are you kidding me? God's going to put somebody in there that fears him. Why? Because he wants a harvest in this last day. There's got to be a shake. There's got to be a shaking, and don't be moved by what you see, and don't be led by false media. I mean, you know, they wanted to impeach Moses. Read about it. <laughs> because they didn't think he was God's choice. God's choice doesn't mean it lines up with Billy Graham. God's jo- choice means I've set this person in here for a purpose. Hallelujah. Just like Trudeau was set in for a purpose. To get you to pray. <laughs> to believe God for... Hallelujah. But again, if you look at Second Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 11, the Bible says that when the Holy Ghost poured, was poured out there, the priest couldn't stand. The praise and worship team fell out in the spirit. Again, I encourage you, we, we, were, we had a praise and worship meeting, a very good praise and worship meeting here last Sunday afternoon. And, um, and I encourage you to, to go to river, to, to revivalrather.com and watch the praise and worship there. Not because it's any better than ours, because it's not. But you watch them falling out in the spirit. You watch the Holy Ghost coming in, and, and what, does it, what does it do when I see that? It encourages my faith to expect a move of the Spirit of God here. If I don't know what it looks like, it helps if I have a picture. Faith needs a picture. Your faith won't work if you can't see something. You can't believe for something that you cannot see. It's just a different set of eyes that see it. So when you're believing for a, God, a move of the Spirit of God, you're believing that when the praise and worship goes out, the praise and worship goes out and people get healed in their seats. Right. You believe that when the praise and worship goes out, it's like it was at Azusa Street. They were coming into, a, at that time, back in 19-whatever, 11 or whatever, they were coming into a train station like Halifax. And they'd get out on the platform and fall out in the spirit because of the power of God that was happening in a church, in a church. 
in a church, and it wasn't a nice building. It was an old barn that they were paying seven bucks a month for. It had horse poop on the floor. It was, come on, it was not a nice place. Now we have to have air-conditioned smoke and all kinds of stuff. They didn't have any of that stuff, but they had the power of God. Shook the nation. hundred years later, still shaken from what happened there. That thing went out. Millions of people were touched because a few people got hungry. Um, before we read Acts chapter 2 anymore, let's go over to, Corinthians, uh, to Chronicles chapter 20. I'm watching the time so you don't have to. No, you need to get excited about 2020. This is the start of something huge. I mean, Jesus said the fields are white with harvest. You know, when they're white, it's different than they harvest the wheat before it gets white. They harvest the wheat when the wheat begins to bow down and the tares don't. But if it, when it's white for harvest, whew, Jesus said, look now. It's white for harvest. Pray to, the har- pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the field. Where did I say go? Thank you. Just check and see if you're paying attention. How about verse 12? This may be how you feel sometimes. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no might against them. This great company that comes up against us. I don't care how big, I don't care how big the giant is. How big is God? I don't care how big the enemy is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Verse uh, 14. Then Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of so-and-so and so-and-so, the Levite, the sons of Asaph, came the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in the middle of the congregation. The Spirit of the Lord would like to come upon you in the middle of a congregation. Did you know that? Yes. Hallelujah. So don't be afraid. And he said, hearken you inhabitants of Jer- Judah and Jerusalem you and King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you. Thus saith the Lord unto you. Be not afraid. Don't be dismayed by reason of whatever your situation might be. Write your situation in there. Bring it, bring it into modern vernacular. Bring it up to date. Picture you here. You're here and you're surrounded by enemies. They're coming with the sole purpose of stealing all your stuff to steal, kill, and to destroy. The MO of Satan. And the only weapons that you're going to be allowed to use, now you could go into the armory and say, well, I think I'll take that machine gun over there. I'll take that bazooka over there. I'll take, the, I'll take that uh, surface-to-air missile over there, and I'll take all of this. And God says, no, uh, put on a shirt and tie. And, and, uh, and uh, get a guitar. Get some singers. No, but don't think about this as some dumb Bible story. This really happened to these real people, and they really had to do that. They had to go against everything. Their head was saying, run, run, run. God forgot all about you. Oh, I know some guy stood up and said, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed because God is in the midst of you, but you can't see him. They couldn't see him. They didn't even have a Bible that they could go look at. They, they couldn't find the scripture. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. They didn't have that. God wasn't in them. God was with them. He's in us. Now what kind of excuse do we have? Don't be afraid. Don't be, don't be scared. 
Tomorrow, go down against them. Okay, okay, this is good so far. Go down against them in the land of Ziz. Now, that sounds like a cool place. Down by the brook in the wilderness. But look at this. You shall not need to fight. See, you have to face your enemy, according to Ephesians 6, 12. But you don't have to fight your enemy. After having done all, stand. After you've done everything, you stand there. Stand there. And, and he takes his best shot, and you're still standing there. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal, not natural, not head-led, not chili con carne, not meat-head thoughts. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but, but what are they? Mighty through who? Not mighty through you. Mighty through God. And what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to say, God, I got these strongholds. Anything that's got a stronghold in your mind that goes against the word of God, you need to get it pulled down. If you don't get a stronghold on it, it'll get a stronghold on you. What's a stronghold, God? I'm going to tell you through the Apostle Paul. Casting down imaginations. No, no, you you sit around and and you picture Murphy's Law. Happened into you. Is that what God wants you to do? This is why he said you need to renew your mind because your imagination is all messed up. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong, and it always happens to me. Well, as long as you keep thinking that, it'll always happen to you because that's the door that the devil needed to get in. But when you cast down that imagination and every thought that exalts itself against the book against the knowledge of God, you use the knowledge of God to bring that thought into captivity to obey the word. So I'm having negative thoughts. What am I going to do with them? I'm going to speak positive words. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. God will never leave me, never fail me, never forsake me. God is on my side. I will not fear what can a man do unto me. In all things, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. What am I doing? I'm casting down imaginations. I'm getting rid of the lying junk. The more time you spend alone thinking, imagining. Just sit around and imagine everything that God promised happening in your life. Imagine laying hands on the sick and see them recover. When, When the enemy comes in, they praised the Lord and defeated their enemies. Is that not a clue that what you and I are supposed to do when our enemies are attacking us? It doesn't say call a friend. It says praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. What am I supposed to do? Paul said it in the Philippian jail. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He's saying if you want to get out of jail, if you want to get out of those chains that seem to bind you, they'll fall powerless behind you as you praise the Lord. Praise your way out. But now in Acts chapter 2, we'll stop over there. This message is going on for the rest of the year, so so you might as well just... uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all in one accord one place, and there came a sound. came a sound. There's a sound involved in every revival. It's a sound. Darlene Check in Australia, there was a sound that came that brought revival to that continent. A sound. There came a sound 
from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Didn't say it was a wind, it said it sounded. And it filled the place where they were seated. And something appeared onto them. Maybe if you were there, you might have seen it, and maybe you wouldn't have. Because lots of times there's angels in a room, and some people see them, and some people don't. Don't dismiss the person that doesn't call them flaky. Maybe you're the flaky one. <laughs> no, no, no insult meant, but... You know, the Bible says that, that angels are around us. They encamp about. They encamp about those that reverence the Lord. So whether you see them or not, this place is, there's more angels in, the, in here than there are people. I can't see them. Well, you know, you, you could. You could. If you didn't make a habit of trying, you could. Because God doesn't want you worshiping angels. Glory of God belongs to him. And, but even, even in Isaiah chapter 6, you think about it. <laughs> Isaiah says, in the day that Uzziah, Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Something was blocking his way. His eyes of his understanding got enlightened when Uzziah got out of the way. And he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And there was angels around about the throne. He saw right into that. And the angels were crying, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. Worship is going on all the time. Why not be a part of that? Why not be a part of that? But then when he began to worship the Lord, the Bible says he saw himself. He said, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm surrounded by a people that are just like me. But the Lord took the fire from off the altar and laid it upon his tongue. And the next thing out of Isaiah's mouth, God said, who am I going to send? Isaiah said, I'm going. Why? Because I got the fire. You've got the fire. He said, I'll live in you, walk in you. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. The fire's in there. The fire's in you. Get around other people that got the fire and you'll turn into a forest fire. Stay by yourself and you barely keep warm. Amen. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were one accord in one place, and then suddenly the sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind filled the place where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire. And if you read Ezekiel chapter 1, you get a picture of what the Holy Spirit looks like. The Bible says that he came and sat upon each of them. He's fire from his loins up and fire from his loins down. Same way that they describe Jesus in the book of Revelation chapter 1. Fire from the loins up, fire from the loins down. And the fire came when you got born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, sat upon you. If you're just born again, not full of the Holy Ghost, then the fire didn't sit on you. But if you're full of the Holy because uh, he said, carry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. The Holy Ghost came and endued. It's the word, Greek word enduo. It means to be clothed with. So you got the spirit in, but you're clothed upon with the Holy Ghost. And then he said, but ye beloved, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God, Jude chapter 20. He's saying, you got to keep the fire burning by praying in the Holy Ghost. If you stop praying in the Holy Ghost, the fire goes out. Why? Because Corinthians 4, 7 says we have a treasure in an earthen vessel, in a crack pot, in a clay pot, and it'll leak out to the point where instead of going into a room and catching other people on fire, you'll come in and put their fire out because your wood's wet. Come on, none of you have ever dampened a room. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. 
Acts 1 verse 8 said, you'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So they're filled with power, but the evidence of the being filled with the Holy Ghost is evident here. And it says, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And here's, here's what happened. There was in Dartmouth, Halifax area, devote people out of every nation. You can be around a whole pile of religious people that go to church every Sunday. I remember one guy saying he was going to a particular church because they're out at noon and he can get to the beach on Sunday afternoon. That was his testimony to me. He said, the services are about 20 minutes long and I can get to the beach by, by 12, 31 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, that's great. No, no, I didn't argue. The Bible says don't argue with a fool. I, 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 don't you want God to move in your life? Don't you know that there's so much more that this is a supernatural book and we are living so far below what is here? Hallelujah. So they were dwelling in Jerusalem, all these people under every nation. Hallelujah. We've got all kinds of nations living in the Halifax, Dartmouth area right now. God's sending them in. They think they're coming in to take over. No. No, no. The kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. They're coming here to get saved. Amen. Now there was... It was noised abroad that he was in the house. If you read the sign out front, it was noised abroad. Hmm. The multitude came together, confounded because they heard every man speaking in their own language. This is the exact opposite of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 10. Man said, Nimrod and the guys, they said, I'm going to make a name for myself. We're going to, we're going to build something that's going to reach heaven. And the Lord came down. And, and matter of fact, if you've ever seen pictures of it, it was a big, it was a big tower. Uh, I forget the height. And it had uh, the signs of the zodiac on the top of it. And so they were worshiping the stars and they were going to build this thing. And the Lord came down and confounded the language, languages so that you're working next to somebody and all of a sudden they're speaking French and you, you don't have a clue what they're talking about because the Bible said that because they were all together, there was nothing that was impossible to them that they could imagine. So think about Acts chapter two, the Lord reversed it and he gave us all a common language, the gift of tongues so that nothing is impossible that we can imagine. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No, whatever you can imagine. Read Genesis chapter 10 and then read Acts chapter 2 and see what he's talking about. He's saying, I had to confound their language because when they were uni united, when they were in unity, there was nothing that was impossible to them. Now think about that. When you see somebody running their race, that you don't become critical of them or jealous over their race. No, get in front and get in behind and run with them. Help them to succeed. Get them across the finish line. Hallelujah. That's even greater. This is, this is what Jesus taught in Mark 10 verse 45. He said, I didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister and to serve. I didn't come to get something. I came to give. I didn't come to get. I came to give. I didn't come to get. I came to give. I don't come to church to get. I come to give. Yeah. No, you may have to come to church to get until you've got something to give. It's all here. It's all here in this room. The people that you need in your life are here in this room. If they're not here right now, they're on their way. It's a thing in this world. You know, we get, 
We, we, we want things, but we don't get what we want. We get what we expect. It's a principle in the word of God. When things are in total confusion, Genesis 1 and verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered upon the waters. But as soon as the voice spoke, let there be light, light manifested. Let there be in your life, let there be light in me. Let there be light in you. I thank you, Lord, that you're a consuming fire and that I'm a living sacrifice. (laughs) So I won't be consumed, but please consume the sacrifice. (laughs) Burn out the stuff that's just stuff. I don't have wickedness in me, but sometimes I have weakness. But I know the difference. I'm not a wicked person, but sometimes I'm weak. My, Jesus told me, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Sometimes there's weakness. But mostly it's meekness, living in the middle between the two extremes. <laughs> the carnal guy and the guy I need to be. But here, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob the chiseler. Jacob the cheat. Jacob the guy that ripped off his brother. Jake, that guy. God said, I'm I'm your God. I'm your God when things are going well and you're walking on the water. I'm your God when you denied me three times. And I didn't change. I'm still your God. I'm still your God. When you fail, failure is not fatal and it's not final. I'm your God. I'm your God. God when it's going well. God, when life sucks all around you. God, when you've got it all together and you're looking so shiny. And God, when you can't even see which is end up and depression is trying to push you into the ditch. I'm God. I'm your Lord and I change not. And whatever you're dealing with, I want to promise you, says the Lord, it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. If it was a miracle, it would be gone this moment. If it's a healing, you got to walk it out. If it's a miracle in finances, boom, somebody will write you a big check today. If not, he was going to show you how to pay your way out of debt. Nancy Hooper and Gary Hooper paid their way out of debt. Their debt kept getting bigger and bigger, and we kept sowing more and more and more. We didn't back off when things got tough. We pushed. Said, is that the best you can do, devil? <laughs> The last bill we got was that $25,000 tax bill we got a year and a half ago. How many of you would like to have a $25,000 tax bill? They went back years to be able to 25000 bucks. I don't know how to preach it to you any better than that. <laughs> it ended up, I know you heard the story, but it ended up they owed us eight or ten or 15000 All I know is we had to pay them and we were making monthly payments. And the next thing you know, they're sending us checks. (laughs) You know, yeah. The money was in the fish's mouth. There is a thief that will come against you to steal and kill and to destroy. 
But never forget that he came that you might have an abundant life. And it doesn't look like what it's in the middle. What your response is is what's important. Your response is key. Your response is vital. Are you going to praise him or are you going to complain? Because if you're going to complain, I got some news for you. You're going to go around the mountain again. It's going to keep coming up until you deal with it. It took them 40 years of walking around that same mountain range, sitting on that same hot rock. You think that the, and then finally they said, would to God we died in this wilderness. He said, okay, as if you've spoken in my ear, so it be done unto you. And they all died. <laughs> no, no. If you find yourself going through the same thing over and over again, it might require some adjustments. <laughs> There's a lesson. I didn't say he brought the test, but he'll give you the lesson. Everything that happens in your life is a learning. It's a lesson. This thing's happened. Am I going to graduate this time? Or am I going to continue along my merry way, grumbling and complaining and kicking the dirt? In Numbers, I think chapter 23, they were, they were complaining so bad that the snakes, how many of you know snakes live in the desert? Like they're there all the time. But no, nobody was getting tormented by them until they started complaining. And finally I preached a message one time, the vipers got the vipers. The gripers got the vipers. You complain long enough and the snake bit you. But if you just praise him. I thank you, Lord. I might be in the wilderness right now but I'm not in Egypt. You delivered me out of slavery and I'm on my way to exceeding great and precious promises. I just want to praise you that I don't understand everything. Matter of fact, most days I don't understand anything. Hallelujah. Be real. I read your Bible and it's so far out there and I'm here on this earth. So I'm helping, asking you to help me according to Ephesians 2.6 to take my seat in the heavenly places in Christ. To take my place complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. Take my place and after having done all, stand. Stand with my loin belt of truth. Your word is hidden in my heart and I'll not sin against you. My breastplate of righteousness, you God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that I'd be the righteousness of God in Christ. The helmet of my salvation because my weapons aren't, aren't carnal but they're mighty through God to pull down those strongholds. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of the soul of the spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intents of my heart. And above all, the shield of faith, whereby I quench every, whereby I quench every, the shield of faith, whereby I quench every fiery dart that the wicked one sends against me in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'm just standing the battle's not mine. The battle's God's. I'm just standing. What are you doing? I'm still standing after all this time. True survivor? No, a truth thriver. Hallelujah. If you need prayer, come stand with me this morning. We'll stand against the wiles of the devil in all things. Yea, in all things. What shall we say if God be for us? Who can be against us? What shall we say to these things? Things, if God be for us, who can be against us? 
What shall we say to these things? Things, if God be for us, who can be against us? I'm steadfast. I'm unmovable. I'm abounding in the work of the Lord because I know. I know my labor is not in vain. I know that the struggle is real, but I win. Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, please come. If you're sitting in your seat and you got it all together, you might want to go and pray for somebody in the audience. In the church here, you might just want to get up and go pray for somebody else. But remember, if you haven't got it, you can't give it away. <laughs> Hallelujah, you got to have it. If you haven't got it, come. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.